Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online and those who are joining us here on site. It is nice to see you today, in particular the bottom half of your face today. It's good to see. Well, did you know that it was exactly two years ago to this Sunday that we last gathered together here without any restriction, any of the COVID restrictions? It was. It was about two years ago, March 14th. 2020, the board gathered for the very, very first time online, which we got very good at doing for the last two years, we gathered for the first time online to discuss what are we going to do about Sunday services, because everything was just starting to roll out. And then on March 18th, a couple of days later, I sent out my very first official COVID update. And in that, um, I, I was reading through that, getting a little nostalgic, and, and this was part of what that update included. It said this, and this might take you back a little bit. It says, as our access to events and businesses and schools and restaurants and borders steadily change, we are challenged to find new patterns for living. The church is subject to this as well and has had to suspend, or rather, we've had to rethink our regular ministry events. Therefore, starting this Sunday, March 22nd, 2022 at 10 a.m., we'll be launching for the very first time West Meadows at Home who I think all of us have participated in at some point during the last two years. And here's how we described it the very, very first week. This will be a weekly 30-minute worship time. The staff chuckled at that when we reflect that. 30 minutes of worship, of singing, of prayer, of updates, a message from myself. I had no idea why I thought I could fit all that into 30 minutes two years ago. But I guess we are a little wiser now knowing the first we could probably about 45 minutes. A lot of you don't know, about five minutes in, YouTube actually cut our feed and actually threatened to take us off the air. And Zach had to really scramble to get that going. And we had all sorts of technical glitches to work out as we just kind of got rolling. But first week, about 45 minutes, and it kind of grew from there to uh, sort of a full service that we had. And I offer this as sort of a quick glance back because I want us to begin by reflecting upon really how far we've come in the past two years. Because it wasn't two years where we just, as, as, as Lenota said, it wasn't two years where we had to suspend things. No, it was two years where we had to rethink things. And we continued to move forward and we continued to grow in people and ministry impact. And we're very excited to know that we've kind of weathered the last two years. You've all weathered the last two years very, very well. And it would not have been possible apart from first and foremost, from God's grace and blessing upon us over the past two years. But also, it would not have been possible without your care for each other, without your faith to God's promises, and without your commitment to our vision. And so I just want to start with a quick word of prayer and a word of thanksgiving for that. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, as we enter into this time, we do not declare anything to be over by any means, but we do declare that you have walked with us through a season. You have blessed us, you have guided us, you have provided for us, and you have used us powerfully, Lord. And we give all praise and all glory to you, that you had a vision for each one of us, that you had a vision for this church. And Lord, for the times that we were faithful to that vision, we give you glory for the fruitfulness of our work. For the times that we had wandered, we confess. But we thank you that when we wander, you are faithful to restore. And we thank you, Lord, that we find ourselves today continuing to move forward, continuing to be committed to the vision that you have placed upon this people in this place. And we give you all praise, and we give you all glory. Amen. Well, did you notice in that update that I shared two years ago that we knew that things were changing? 
We knew that there were challenges that were on the horizon, somewhat undetermined yet at this point, but we knew challenges and changes were coming. But we chose not to use the word or to focus too much upon the word suspend. Instead, it was very intentional and very sincere when we talked in terms instead about rethinking about rethinking ministry so that we could continue to move forward to be committed to the vision. And, and some of you who are in business might be familiar with this uh, business proverb that says, never waste a crisis. Have you heard that before? <laughs> yeah, it sort of speaks that in the midst of challenges lies opportunity. And I think there's some truth in that, that, that we here at West Meadows, the, the staff and the board, did not miss the opportunities that presented themselves the last couple of years. But I I think I prefer to focus today upon the biblical proverb that we find in Proverbs 28, 19 that says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. What does that mean? It means that when you have a group of people that are visionless, when there's no vision to unify around, people tend to be drawn instead to their own preferences, to their, to their own tendencies. And sometimes people are even drawn to inactivity, especially during times of crisis. Think, for example, of a sports team. We've probably all heard stories of the Oilers, for example, where there's individuals who are committed to their own personal advancement, but then the team's success suffers in the midst of that. Or maybe you are uh, aware of a couple who are committed to have a vision of getting out of debt, but one of them over the last two years has developed an addiction to Amazon <laughs> and is working against the vision. And there's always one person in the family and one who's not addicted to Amazon I order more Amazon in our family. I have to confess that. But we see the same thing in a church as well. That where there is no vision, a church is still capable of doing many good things, but they miss out and they run a risk of missing the God things in spite of the good things. And these God things, these ministry opportunities that can exist within a congregation are the types of things that lead to some of the expressions of new life that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. These last couple of weeks, we've been defining and highlighting certain expressions of what it means to experience new life with Jesus in us and among us. But today, I want to focus upon new life beyond us, beyond the worshiping community to the surrounding community, beyond the status quo to where we are called to go. And if we are going to experience not just the good things, but to continue to experience the God things that he has planned for us, that he has envisioned for us as a church here at West Meadows, it will require something of us. It will require us to continue to remain faithful to him so that we will have new life in him. It will require us to continue to be faithful to one another so that we have new life among one another but also to be faithful to find new life in his vision for the church beyond us, to the community around us. Now, there's great power in this idea of vision. And it can be seen in stories of your life, of lives of people that you know, and, and even within the Bible itself, we see examples of the power of a people who caught a vision and remained faithful to it. And also the situations where they strayed from that vision. And it maybe comes to, example, comes to mind an example for you, for the Old Testament, the story of the nation of Israel. It really epitomizes this. Where we know that, that God gave them a promise. And he cast a vision for the nation of Israel to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we read about this in Genesis 12 and 17 in particular, where, where God came to Abram at time. And he says, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you. I'm going to make you from one man into a great nation. You will be more numerous than the stars, the sky, and the sand on the beaches. And you will rule over the nation of Canaan. 
and you will be blessed, and you will be a blessing to all the nations as well. Now, that was the promise and the vision that they had received. And, and the path they had to walk towards real, real, <clears throat> excuse me, to realizing that was not always easy. There were challenges along the ways. There were temptations that they fell prey to. And sometimes they'd wander off the path. But time and time again, when they would look back to God, he was faithful to restore them. And if you read the history of Israel throughout the Old Testament, you'll see they had this on-again, off-again relationship with God. Where, but God was always steadfast to his vision for the people. And time and time again, he would send prophets to, to warn them and to draw them back into him and in, into his vision, into his promises. And sometimes they would heed the warnings. They would repent. They'd get back in tr- on track again. But it didn't usually last more than a generation. And eventually it reached a point where their capital, Jerusalem, was captured and attacked, where the temple, the walls, the gates were burned to the ground, and the people were carried off into exile. And in such a time as this, in such a crisis as this, it's easy to understand how people could lose sight and lose hope in God's promises for them. It's easy to see how they could lose the vision in the midst of a crisis. And many of them did. Many of them did. And then decades passed, and a man named Nehemiah came on the scene. And a man named Nehemiah caught God's vision for the new life that was still available for them. And the new life that was available for them beyond the challenges and beyond the status quo that they had come to expect. And I want to have a quick look at his story today. And I invite you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 1. If you want to use the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 383 in your Pew Bible. And while you're looking that up, just give you a brief background to Nehemiah. He was a, he was a Jewish man who was born into exile. So he wasn't born and then carried off to exile. He was born in Babylon in exile. But he had managed to find himself as a position, as the cupbearer to the Persian king. And, and at this point, he'd been carried off by the Babylonians, but then Persia had conquered the Babylonians, and he was now serving the Persian king in this region that they are in exile for. Now, this was not an exciting position, but it was a respectable position because it gave him proximity to the king. So there was therefore a trusted position as well. And he could have very easily just settled into this life, very comfortable life. But he wouldn't allow himself to do it because his heart longed for the restoration of his people. And that longing likely started years earlier when the king had initially allowed some of the exiles to return back to Jerusalem to start to rebuild the temple. And from that time, they started to see this new life was starting to to reemerge amongst the people and amongst the, the nation. But there hadn't been a whole lot of news for a while as to how things were going. And that's where we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, where we read this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halakai, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, one of my good trusted friends, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about how the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, those who had returned, I questioned them about how they were doing in Jerusalem. How are things going? How's the temple? How's the restoration of the city going? And in verse 3, they said to me, Nehemiah, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. They're in great disgrace. You see, the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When Nehemiah heard all of these things, it just pierced his heart. 
And it says here, he sat down and he wept. For some days, it says, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. So as these guys come back, they confirm for him that, yeah, Nehemiah, the temple is awesome. The temple is great. And yeah, some people have built some houses. They start to reestablish their lives. But to say that things are good, to say that things are where they should be, is far from the truth. You see, the fact is the city is in shambles, especially the walls. Those walls that protected us. Those walls that, that had gates in them that would welcome people among us. But also we could close them to bar those things that would divide us. It's all in shambles. Now, Nehemiah had never seen this for himself. He, he had been born in exile. He had lived there his whole life. And yet, even though he had not seen it, he, it was his capital. It was his people. It was part of his identity. And so as they grieve, he grieves with them. Even though there's a geographical distance, he grieves with them. And it's hard to relate to this a little bit unless perhaps we take a second and think to ourselves about people in our lives who, when we hear news, our hearts celebrate with them in their victories, but, but also sometimes we hear news and our hearts grieve with them in the losses. That's why we share the, the announcements of births to the congregation, because we want to celebrate with those families, and, but we also share the announcements of those who have passed on into glory, because we, we identify, we, we want to grieve with those who are going through these difficult times. Sometimes we, we see this with young families, celebrating the birth of new, a new life. Anyhow, how, how it works out. We announce the birth, and, and, and then a family comes to celebrate it. If you're a parent yourself, you, you can relate to that. You can understand what they're going to go through. And the, and the moms go to the moms, and they offer some good advice. And the dads go to the dads, and they're like, well, enjoy not sleeping for a while. And, and these sorts of, you know, dad jabs <laughs> that come. But we can understand that those that we can relate to are the ones that we, that we can feel with. And, and see, the reality is, is that if you are not moved to action for somebody... It could be because you don't feel that identity with somebody. You know, Nehemiah is hundreds of miles away. He has never seen the destruction. He's never seen the city for himself with his own eyes. And yet he feels this strong identity as part of God's people. And he also feels the absence of his people not living in God's vision for them. And so his heart breaks for his people. And it moves him to action. And the action it moves him to is that he weeps. And he fasts. And he's moved to prayer. And we get to verse 5. We see the prayer, 5 through 11. We see the prayer that he offers up in this moment. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He continues, I confess the sins we Israelites including myself and my family, the ones that we've committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've, we've not obeyed your commands. We've not obeyed your decrees, the laws that you gave to your servant Moses. Remember, O oh Lord, the instructions you gave to your servant Moses, saying, if you will be unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if, you're exiled, even if your people are exiled to the farthest horizon, I will gather them there from that place and bring them to the place that I have chosen for them, the dwelling place of my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. 
Nehemiah declares at the start of this prayer, first and foremost, that God's promises are sure and that they are unchanging. That all that God asks in exchange is that his people continue to abide with him. But then in full awareness that Israel has not always done this, he confesses their guilt. But notice who he speaks on behalf of in this prayer. He speaks on behalf of the Israelites, the, the nation of Israel, but he then includes, remember he's identified with these people, so he includes his family and he includes himself in here. But it, it kind of draws a question to mind. What sins is he confessing? On one hand, we can see that he's confessing the sins of the generation prior who led to exile. Yeah, yeah, their sins led to the defeat of Jerusalem. It led to the destruction of the city, of the walls, of the temple, of the gates. We can see the need to confess those things. But he was born in exile. He, he didn't commit sins that led to this. He was born into this. And so what does he have to confess in the midst that's related to this catastrophe? Well, the answer comes in how we understand what sin is. The answer is found in actually the definition of sin. And sometimes we think the most common definition, the most obvious definition of sin is the bad things that people do, right? The most obvious things, the breaking the Ten Commandments. If you lie, if you cheat, steal, jealousy, adultery, murder, doing those sorts of things. What would obviously be sins. What do they all have in common? Well, they're, they're bad things. They're wrong things committed against somebody else or that somebody commits against us. But if that's our full definition of sin, it's too narrow because it doesn't fit this moment of confession that Nehemiah has, nor does it fit the experience of sin that we all experience either. You see, sin more accurately is anything that is short of God's perfect character and will. Therefore, as Romans 3.23 says, because sin is short of anything devoid of God's character or will, all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of what? Of God's glorious standard. He is the one who sets the mark. He is the one who sets the standard. And there's another type of sin that fits under this understanding. And we actually can see it in one of Jesus' parables. One of his more famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Where we see a full definition of sin on display. You can read the whole parable for yourself if you like in Luke chapter 10. But I'll just paraphrase it for us because I think most of us are pretty familiar with it. It's a story of a man who is traveling along the road and he is robbed and beaten, and left for dead at the side of the road. Now, the guy who mugged him is obviously guilty of a sin. He's, he's guilty of the sin of doing bad things to this guy. He, he mugged him and robbed him. Clearly, he's guilty of those sins. But as we continue down the story, we see that a priest walks by, that a Levi walks by, and they do nothing. Are they heroes in the story? <laughs> no. They are vilified in the story. Why? Because they committed sins too. Because they also fell short of God's will. They also fell short of God's character. They are not guilty of the sin of doing bad things. They are guilty of the sin of omission. They're guilty of sins of not doing things according to God's will. According to God's character. You see, our full understanding of sin is, yes, the bad things that people do, but also the things, the God things that are left undone can also be considered sinful as well. Now, Nehemiah had caught a vision for his people. And he confesses the past acts, the past sins that have been done. But he also confesses the present complacency that he and his people have also been a part of. He confesses both of these things. And having confessed the past, he is now able to claim the future. And as chapter 2 opens, we see that Nehemiah is, is doing his job. He's serving the king in, in, in the wine, in, in the palace. And as he's serving the king, he is wearing a burden upon his face. 
to the point where the king comes to him and says, why are you so sad? And then Nehemiah responds, king, my, my city is in ruins. The gates are destroyed. My people live in disgrace. And then he boldly asks the king, as he had prayed, he takes the moment and he boldly asks the king, send me to Jerusalem. Send me there so I can rebuild it. And grant me the supplies to rebuild it. And to his surprise, the king grants him permission. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes and he sees the devastation for himself for the first time. And as he sees this, the, the burden in his heart grows and he gathers all of the people together. And then we see in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17, as he gathers all the people together, he says to them, don't you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned to the ground with fire. And he rallies them, but come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be in disgrace. And as they hear this and they gather together and they start to catch a bit of a vision, it's at that point you can see a stirring that starts to happen among the people. And, and out of nowhere, this growth of excitement starts to happen. And, and to the surprise of everybody there, someone starts hanging out these red hats that say, make Jerusalem great again on them. <laughs> I don't know where they came from. And all of a sudden the chant starts, build that wall, build that wall. And somebody cries out, and make Persia pay for it. Right? It did, which is essentially what happens in Nehemiah 2. <laughs> it is, because the nation rallies around this renewed vision for what is possible. And they set out to do the work. They overcome all the challenges that come their way during the building, if you read the rest of the book of Nehemiah. And in the days ahead, the priest Ezra comes and he leads them in the reading of God's law. They confess their sins again, and they recommit themselves to God. And once again, they experience new life in their people, among their people, and they now believe that new life was possible beyond what they had known to this point. It's a great story. Yes? Thumbs up, thumb, yeah? <laughs> Just making sure you're with me. It's a great story. It's a great story of God's vision and new life that can be experienced when we are faithful to what God has in store for us. You know, when we look at Scripture... When we look at how God relates to his people throughout Scripture, from cover to cover, we see this happening. We see that God is faithful to restore, that God is faithful to make things new, that God always has a vision for his people, and they walk in step with him. These amazing, amazing God things can happen. And it takes place even in our present day still. It takes place because God is in the business of making things new. Amen? God is in the business of making things new. We see clear examples of this in the scriptures. In, in the few times, for example, when he changes a person's name. And he changes their name quite often when they catch the vision, when they commit to it, and then they have a new life going forward from there. Think, for example, of Abram, who was called to leave his homeland and to go to be the father of many nations. His name is changed from Abram to Abraham. Why? Because he's no longer the father of a child. He's the father of a nation. We go a little further to Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. Why? Because he is no longer known as the one who is a deceptive. He is known as the one who is devout. We go a little further to the New Testament. We see a guy named Peter who encounters a man named Jesus, and his life is turned upside down. And Jesus says, you shall no longer be called Peter. You shall no longer be called Simon. You should be called Peter. Why? Because you will no longer be one who catches fish, but you will be catching people. We see a man named Saul who was known by Saul for persecuting the church. He is known by Paul when he becomes the planter of the church. When they catch God's vision, things change. 
Amazing things start to happen. Paul goes from being the persecutor of the church to the planter of the church. And Paul is the one who wrote himself. He said this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the new creation has come. The new has come. Why? Because the old is gone. The new is here. And throughout the church age, throughout history, we see this happen when people encounter Jesus and brings new life in them and among them. So we've been talking about the last few weeks. But we don't want to stop there because this new life comes with a mission to go beyond ourselves. It comes with a mission to go beyond ourselves because when we enter, sorry, when we allow Jesus to enter into our hearts, not only do we experience new life, but also when Jesus is permitted to enter into a home, to enter into a community, to enter into a city, he also brings new life to that home and to that community and to that city. That's the basis of the Great Commission. That's the basis of the mission that Jesus gave to his church, that he gave to his followers. The way that we explain that here at West Meadows, the words that we use, is our mission is this. It is to invite people to experience new life with Jesus by living out his grace, truth, and love. You see, we as followers of Christ are ambassadors of the new life that we've experienced in him. And our job is to invite others to experience that as well. But it leads to kind of make us wonder at times, what would that look like? What would it look like if West Meadows was successful in this mission? What if we were successful in the mission of inviting people to experience new life in them, in their homes, in their community, in the city? What would that look like? Well, that's what we refer to as our vision. And our vision is this God-ordained picture of what is possible for us at West Meadows and beyond. And we use this phrase to describe it. That the phrase that we use is our vision is to be at the heart of new life in Lewis Farms and beyond. But just like in the story of Nehemiah, step one, it has to begin with identifying with the people around us. Because if we don't identify with the people around us, we will not reach the people around us. So who is Lewis Farms? Well, Lewis Farms is a geographical location where God has planted this church. He planted this church 25 years ago in this place when there was nothing else around. And whether you join us in person or if you join us online, this is the locale. This, this is the people. This is the focal point of the spiritual life and the, and the spiritual growth and the new life that we can experience and be ambassadors of. This here at West Meadows, whether on site or online, this is the place where we gather to worship, where we grow, where we have people that we fellowship with, where, where serving goes forward from. And I hope that you identify with this as your church. And if you're on the journey to identifying with this as your church, I encourage you to continue walking that path. As I talked about last week, keep dating the church, but one day take the step of commitment and, and, and join us in this mission. Join us in it. I hope it's identity that you feel with this church. But if we're going to be successful in the mission that this church has received, then we also need to go beyond that to help people beyond us to find new life with us and with Jesus as well. That's what it means to be at the heart of something. To be at the heart means to be the center, the, to be the hub from which the new life flows. And when we are centered in Christ and people encounter us, they're encountering Christ in us. We can be the heart of new life in people and among people and beyond our people. As we discussed last week, 
If we are a church that is on mission, then we are called, as Matthew 5 tells us, we are called to be a light, a light in the world. We are called to be a town that is built on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are to let our light shine before others so that they may glorify, not us, but that they may glorify our Father in heaven. You know, folks, from the moment that I was asked to candidate to be the lead pastor of West Meadows, from that very moment, it's a bigger story I'll tell another day perhaps, but from the very moment I was even just asked, and I came and heard about the church, and, and I saw the area, and I saw the church, from that very moment I was just merely asked, I caught a vision for this community. I caught a vision to be the light and to not be a hidden town amongst the community. Did you know that in our community, there's over 20,000 people who live just in Lewis Farms? 3,000 of them are kids. And there are hundreds and hundreds of seniors and senior centers that are built and being built in our area. It's one of the fastest growing areas of the city in which we live. And there are many needs but given the, the, given the makeup of this community, many of the needs are actually hidden. Many of the hurts are hidden. But even though they're hidden, they're still there. But there's a lack also of resources. There's a, a lack of services for families and supports to address these needs that exist. Many people in this community ha- have found themselves identified by, by possessions and success. And we know that that's a common temptation to all of us, but it's common within our community. And yet... COVID has threatened all of that. Who has not gone through these past few years of COVID and not had employment, health, security, finances threatened by the things that we've experienced the last two years? But while these problems and challenges exist, in the midst of all that, there's also a great spiritual apathy. There's a great need for new life with Jesus. And did you know that we are the only church in Lewis Farms? We're the only one amongst these 20,000 with so many needs and hurts, desires and dreams. We're the only church. We're the only ones who can speak the good news of Jesus Christ into them. And when you hear that, when you think about that, what do you feel inside? Do you feel a connection? Like, Do you feel like you identify with the people? That you can identify with the church. Can you identify with the vision to reach this community and beyond? Because I cannot help but feel a sense of responsibility to this community. I cannot help but feel a sense of responsibility and burden that moves us. And I pray it would move us to weep and to pray. But it would also move us to action. And it has moved us to action in the past. Not just the past two years, but the past number of years it's moved us to action. Because we have made great strides in building the walls and fortifying the city among us. Even during the challenges of COVID that we've faced thus far. But that's not all. Driven by our vision, we've also continued to build relationships. We've continued to serve our community. We've continued to gain the trust of our community. We've grown to the point where we are seen as stakeholders in our community. Where people and organizations actually seek us out now more than we seek them out. We've turned that corner. They call us more than we call them. And it's so beautiful. We used to call them and be like, hey, can we please kind of be involved in something? They now call us more often than we have space and time at moments to say yes to. We're seen as stakeholders in the community. As Andrew mentioned with our food bank, we're going to two days a week with the food bank. They called us to say, can you do more? 
They called us this week to say, one can't do it, can you do more? Yes, we can. Lewis Estates Retirement Center called us to say, can you come back and do your weekly services for our residents? Yes, we can. We have a parents group that meets every week. People from the community are saying, I'm a new mom, I'm a new dad, I need support, I need community, I need to get out of the house and have grown-up conversations. Can you help me? Yes, we can. We have an extraordinary kids program every Sunday morning where, where children who need some extra time and some extra care. There's churches from around Edmonton saying, who offers this? Who can we send our people to? West Meadows? Yes, we can. And yes, we do. School concerts. Schools have started calling us back again. Can we book your church for our schools to come and do their concerts again? Yes, he can. Do you have a daycare? Yes, we do. And they're up to 97 kids now in the daycare. It's amazing. The community leagues call us. Can we use your space to join your community garden? Yes, you can. And people beyond this, can we come to your Alpha? Can we come to your Grief Share? Can we come to your virtual day camps? Can we get the link to West Meadows at home? Yes, you can. Why? Because we have a vision to be at the heart of new life of what happens in Lewis Farms. And it's happening. It's happening. And we praise God and we thank all of you for your continued dedication and volunteering and resources you give us to make it happen. And all of us that we're experiencing is forms of new life that puts us in a place amongst the people of Lewis Farms. We don't just invite them to come to an event, but we also invite them to build relationships with us. And when they experience us, they experience Jesus. It's what it means to be at the heart of new life, to be light amongst the darkness and to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. And so I invite you to imagine with me. I invite you to imagine with me what it could look like. Not what it did look like or what it does look like, as wonderful as those things are, but to keep thinking what it could still yet look like. To think more about the even greater God things that are in store for us because of his vision for us. To confess the times of the past where we may have been wayward or, or committed to our own success. To confess the times where we maybe were complacent in, in serving, volunteering, or, or taking those big steps of faith he called us to. But to claim the future that God has envisioned for us. Because I think it's not just a matter of envisioning the good things, but the God things that are in store for us in the days ahead. Amen. Yeah, thank you. As the worship team comes to join me, I just want to finish with this. If, if you have not yet taken that step of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't have that new life in you, you have an opportunity to do that today. As we talked earlier, all of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And yet, while he is the one who sets the standard, he is also the one who perfected it. When he sent Jesus to come and pay the price for our sins, to stand in the gap between us and God. And that's available to all of us today. We don't have to try to bridge that gap on our own. Jesus already has. And if we simply will confess our past and claim our future, you can receive new life with Jesus today. As he gave his life for you, you can give your life to him. Or if you've been away from the church for a while, or if you've been away from, from opportunities to grow, opportunities to serve, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. I pray and invite you to make a commitment today to say, no, we need to get back into the rhythm of things. We need to allow this to be the place where we know, where we grow, and where we show God's love. The place where we experience new life amongst, new life with Jesus amongst the people of Jesus. And if you make that commitment to join a mission with us, then we together will be inviting people to experience new life with Jesus by living out his grace, his truth, and his love. As we continue to pray, 
to dream, to talk, to share, and to do the God things that he's envisioned for us in Lewis Farms and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I simply give you all glory. I simply give you all praise and thanksgiving for the callings you placed upon us, for the blessings that you bestowed upon us, for the vision that you've impassioned amongst us. Lord, for those who may be here or watching online who do not have a relationship with you, I pray that the spirit that is among us, the spirit that is with them, would just cry out in their hearts and say, this is the life you were made for, a life with Jesus. For those who have not surrendered their life to you, Lord, I pray that they would take that moment now, that they would come and speak with Pastor Andrew or myself at the end of the service so we could continue to walk with them in that new life. Lord, for us as a church, may we continue to be unified, not just around a vision, but around a love for one another, around grace, grace that is deep enough and strong enough that we can work through challenges, that we can do courageous community together and stay unified in community together that you called us to, that we would truly be that light of grace, truth, and love for the world around us, that they too may come to know, Jesus, that you love them, that you died for them, and you have a vision for their life as well. We pray this all in Jesus' name.